So, we're going to continue our series this morning about how God calls us to live into the year 2020. And so we're going to spend time along with our kids in compassion. And as we think about compassion, we're going to jump into one of the more familiar um, parables of Jesus, one of the more familiar teachings of Jesus um, from the Gospel of Matthew. Thank you. That's compassion. Nice show. Um, And to think about that with you, I'm going to tell you uh, just very quickly about the time that I was the GOAT. And I'm not talking, I know some of you know what the acronym stands for, greatest of all time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that goat. I'm talking about the actual goat. Um, Years and years ago, Kristen and I were on a trip with Ray Vanderlaan to Israel. And um, as a part of that trip, we were, um, (coughs) excuse me, driving on a tour bus um, through some back roads of, of Israel, which Ray Vanderlaan is sort of renowned for. He always finds the sort of out-of-the-way places and backwoods spots to do his teaching. And as we were driving, all of a sudden Ray said, stop, 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 to the bus driver. We stopped. We were on a, on a road, and we pulled over to the side. He said he would always get out of the van or get out of the bus and say, come, let's go. He said, come, let's go. We all got out. There was about 45 or 50 of us. We all got out of the bus and we began to walk. And what Ray had seen was on a hillside, he had seen some actual shepherds. And yes, they are a real thing in Israel. It was a group of young boys who had a flock. And that flock was, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 sheep. And there were about four or five goats that were a part of this flock. It was like an ideal teaching time for Ray. And he just sort of stumbled upon it. And his teaching captured a lot of things. He talked at length about Psalm 23 and um, uh, some other passages of scripture. But then he spent time for a moment with this passage. And the thing that he talked about in this passage was the goats. And I unfortunately have to say that I was the impetus for that teaching. Because when you go on these hikes, and Ray was often leading us on these big long hikes, you would follow a trail, and that trail would wind through the hills in different spots that you were hiking towards. But I'm the sort of person that I'm the path of least resistance. So if I saw a place where the trail sort of winded around, and I thought to myself, if I cut up here, then I'm going to have to not walk as far as everybody or wait for them, I would take that little sort of shortcut. And I did that often throughout the trip. And Ray actually said, I want to talk about Scott for a moment because Scott is a goat. And here's what he meant by that. When shepherds in the hills are caring for their flocks, one of the things that they can expect is that the sheep will follow them where they are called to go. Where the sheep are are asked to go, they're going to follow the voice of the shepherd which is a teaching over and over again in the text. Goats just do their own thing. Goats will probably eventually get to the spot where the shepherd is. But you remember those family circus cartoons where little Billy would sort of roam all over the place before he would finally get to where he needed to go? That's what a goat does. And me being the person who finds the shortcut and in essence tries to make my own way, 
was a goat. As we dig into this passage of scripture this morning where Jesus is teaching to his people the third of three parables that teach them about the coming kingdom of God, this morning we want to think about whether or not we follow the voice of the shepherd or whether we go our own way. If we are a sheep or if we are a goat. Let's pray as we seek God's leading in our time of teaching this morning. Father, be present with us, challenge us, encourage us. We pray, Father, that we know the shepherd and hear his voice and follow him. That's you, Lord. That we don't seek to be independent of you. Instead, we do what it is that you call us to do. <clears throat> to love those, that we love those you call us to love. And Lord, in that, that we might experience your presence, your power, and we might be a part of your compassion to the world around us. Lord, this is something that you do in us as you equip us through the Spirit. We ask that you do it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, Matthew 25. It's the first gospel after the teachings of the Old Testament. It's going to be about one-third from the back of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the Gospels you're looking for, Matthew chapter 25. We're going to begin there at verse 31. 31 through 33 says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and he will put the goats on his left. Now, this passage that we have here, this teaching of Jesus, is really one of the few passages of Scripture that we have about the judgment to come. Certainly have some prophetic texts in Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of the minor prophets. We also have the book of Revelation, but these are the words of Jesus. So in essence, us hearing the words of Christ about the next judgment, the coming judgment, should bring us some level of, of pause. There's gravity here. There's power here that God has for us. So for us to understand that this teaching that he gives about the sheep and the goats is fundamental and important teaching. We need to be grabbing onto that. And you also notice that it comes, again, like I said, through a series of three parables. If you look at the chapter 25, you'll notice it begins with the parable of the virgins. And that parable is about preparation, being prepared for Christ to come. You don't know when it's going to happen, so keep oil in your lamp is really the essence of the teaching of the parable of the virgins. The second parable is the parable of the bags of gold. Each servant gets a certain amount given to them by their master to care for while he is gone. And when he comes back, he judges them based upon what it is that they have done with what he's given them. And the message of that parable, as we think about what is to come, is simply this. God has given all of us gifts, abilities, and talents. And we are to live into those gifts and abilities and talents as we think about the reward that is offered to those who are faithful with what he has given. And finally, this third parable is about compassion. And what it means to be people who look around at the world that we live in through a lens of love and grace, such as Christ has looked at us as his people. So for us to hear the power of that, 
for us to think, okay, when, when uh, uh, first of all, in the New Testament or in all of scriptures, when there is three of similar things, that has sort of an exclamation point. It's like putting a, a, a like pounding it again and again. Jesus here is, is, is making it clear to his people that what is to come is important for you to consider. It's important for you to consider your preparation and how you're using your gifts. And it's also important for you to consider your compassion. He's hammering it so that you really understand how fundamental and important this is. For us to hear that, and then also then for us to hear that compassion is, in the words of Jesus, practical. Let's look at the passage as it continues, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, I don't know about you, but from my Reformed perspective, Reformed being the tradition of this church, when I hear that, it gives me just a moment of pause. Because as we listen to it, it sounds like works righteousness. Does anyone else hear that here? Is it just me? In essence, it says, you will be rewarded if you, what? Do something. And doing something seems antithetical to the message that we as a community continue to communicate, and that is that there is nothing that we can do in order to earn God's grace. And God's grace through Jesus Christ is really the gateway to the reward that we know in heaven, right? So when we hear this passage where when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And then out of that, you gain reward. It seems like we're in this tension of works righteousness. We are, we get along better with God when we do something. Now, in a moment, I'm going to challenge that, and I, I want you to be patient for a minute. Before I talk about that, we need to talk about how we often talk ourselves <coughs> out of compassion. Here's what we do. Um, as I was speaking with the children, you all got that mental picture in this mor- uh, uh, You all got that mental picture this morning. You're driving on a freeway overpass or a freeway ramp, and there's someone on the corner, right? The sign's up. What do you do in that moment? Oftentimes, here's what we do. Oh, I know what he or she is going to use that money for, and I'm not going to enable them. How many of us do that? Right? It's easy. Um, when um, needs in the church come up, you say, oh, I, I can't help with that, or I can't 
do that, or that's something, that's, oh, here's a wonderful one. This is one of the great tools that we have of talking to ourselves. That's not my gift, right? I don't have that spiritual gift. Look at the passage. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you gave me clothing. When I was in prison, you visited me. It doesn't say if. It doesn't say that there are conditions that need to be met by the people that we love or that we serve or that we exhibit compassion to. It simply asks this question. Can you see me, Jesus saying, in that person who is expressing a level of need? And if your heart seeks to love me through this person who I have shown to you, then in that you have shown your love to me. How many of us believe in a sovereign God who is in control of all situations, all times, all places? So if that's the case, then God has a plan and a purpose in the person at the side of the road holding the sign. Amen? And God has a plan and a purpose in us who choose to drive on Alabama or Tennessee or on Ford or wherever it is that we believe that God has a plan and a purpose for our paths intersecting. Amen? So if that's the case, what in the world do we do with that? How hard is that? Because we don't hear if here. We here simply show compassion. Now, okay, friends, listen. We're not talking about you making sure you go down to the bank and have ten five-dollar bills that you pass out to every person on the freeway overpass. That's not what I'm saying. But maybe it is a water bottle. Maybe it is if that person is there, you quick run to the store and grab a takeout sandwich that you can give to them. Maybe it is um, another way that you show compassion. And that's certainly one of those things like, hey, I get it. It's, it's hard to live into that, that we also have services like Redlands Family Services and other organizations that go to meet that need. Then we express compassion not by just supporting those things by giving them money, but we also support them by being people who engage with these sorts of organizations and be people who express compassion in very tangible ways. One of the great blessings, and friends, I'm just telling you, I'm a a friends with a lot of pastors in a lot of different places. One of the great blessings that we have here at the River Community is that there are people who are a part of us over the history of the last 10 years, 15 years, that we have very clear callings to show compassion to because they have specific needs. They have need for food. They have need for housing. They have need for clothing. And then we don't have to necessarily jump outside of this community to be people who show compassion. We can very tangibly love the people who are a part of this community with compassion. And God be praised. I see it in so many of you. God is using you and me to show compassion, but for us to continue to grow. One of the things that I continue to wonder about, 
is what does it mean for us to think more about prison ministry? And perhaps God is moving through this moment. If you are a person who feels the call towards going to prisons, that's something that I think that we as a community can grow in because prison is one of the loneliest places on the planet. Maybe God is calling you to be sort of the the edge of the spear as we think about how we grow into those places of being able to tangibly show compassion. What is God calling you towards? And I can sit here and I can give you all the directives in the world and all the ideas in the world, but what is God calling you towards? The spaces and the places that you can be people who ask these questions of yourself and say, am I going to be a sheep and follow the master? Or am I going to be a goat who goes my own way? Passage continues, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick? or in prison and did not help you, he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. This is where we address whether or not this is works righteousness. Because here, in a very clear, abundantly clear way, with lots of repetition, Jesus makes it clear, this is simply not about doing good. Because doing good has its own blessings, but it's still, without Christ, doing good things has its own challenges. We'll talk about that in a second. But Christ, over and over again here in this passage, says, whatever you did for me. This is about us engaging with Jesus. And Jesus is all about grace. Amen? And if Jesus is all about grace, we are engaging with the gift that God has given us in Jesus, and we're recognizing the grace of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus either has power to transform me, or it does not have that power in my life because I am too stubborn and independent and want to go my own way. This is about a reception of the gift God gave us in Jesus Christ. And if we receive that gift, it moves us. It transforms us. If we allow it to do its work in us, in the same way that God looked at us and saw a broken person, desperate in their sin, needing love, needing mercy, needing grace, that in the same way we then see the transformation of that grace in our life, and we say, now how can I show it to the world around me? This is a grace reception and a grace evaluation of God in our lives. Do we trust that God's grace is enough that we allow it to take over. It means that we see the world through Christ-like lenses. Those people who have been rejected by the world, we see them through the lens of Christ. They're not rejected. They are a child of God. 
when we see those people who are in need in the same way that we know and we knew our need for Christ to come and redeem us and transform us. We see them as a person who needs the transformation of Christ and we can be a part of that. We can be a part of that through a water bottle. We can be a part of that through a meal. We can be a part of that through an extra coat. Man, you people have way too many clothes. Let's all be honest on that, right? You have too many clothes. You have too much stuff. And there are whole hosts of people in this world who don't have that stuff. And for them, it's life-altering. It's cold outside. It was cold last night. How many of you have six jackets at your house? Some of you are lying. I know you are. You're liars. Because you, almost all of us do. We have way too much stuff, and yet there is somebody. And what do we hear from Scripture? If someone needs a, needs a shirt, you give them your cloak. You go beyond even what God is asking you. One of the things that, friends, we is a stumbling block to our compassion is we don't even know where to start. We got so many, so many clothes, we don't even know how to clean that out and give it to somebody who may have need. <clears throat> give it to somebody, give it to an organization that can make sure it goes for benefit of the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, there are people in our community, they need some good clothes. Ask Debbie, ask me, ask others. We'll find a way for you to take what it is that you already have and be compassion and love of Jesus to the world around you. Now, how do we know that this has to be centered in Christ and it's not just overarching, doing good, that, that, that um, fixes this. Because we all know a lot of people. There's a lot of people who don't know Jesus who are doing good in this world, right? There's a lot of folks. Okay, then we need to look at that just for a second. 1 Corinthians 13, turn your Bibles. Excuse me, still getting over a cold. 1 Corinthians 13 begins with this passage. If I speak... In the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge, I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain Okay. Then really quickly turn in your Bibles. Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 4. It says this there. What? Must be 1 John. I think it's 1 John. I hope it's 1 John. Otherwise, I'm in serious trouble here. I don't know where it is. Oh, goodness. Can you show me some compassion this morning? Here's what we do know. All love has its source in Christ, right? God is love. God is the source of all love. So if we do all these good things but do not have love, what don't we have? Christ. 
If we don't have Christ, then getting to this point of Matthew chapter 25 where compassion is necessary in the lives of others. If we're simply doing good, we're not living into Christ being the one who does good in us. That is, remember, clanging gong, clashing cymbal. It means good in this world, but it does not even come close to the fullness of good, compassion sourced in Jesus Christ. Let's finish the passage, verse 46. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Believe it or not, this is one of the most debated texts in contemporary Christianity of all the texts. And the reason that this particular text is debated in all of Christianity is this, because this poses the question, if God is love, how is it that he for eternity can punish somebody? Is that loving? How many of you have ever asked that question? Many of us have, and you probably asked it in your own unique fashion. And that's a long discussion, a long debate. There are many things that can be said, and I know it is a stumbling block for many. But here's what I do know. And I'm just going to read it to you because I spent some time just thinking through what this statement really means or what is really happening here. God lovingly gives humanity his way of living. It's clear that to indict God for the consequences of rejecting his way and his love, that just seems arrogant. But here's the kicker. God's grace is bigger than we can ever imagine. See, here's the thing that we do. We are a people who judge who's in or who's out, right? We say, oh, that person, they're doing good things, but it's not centered in Jesus. That's, no, that, that doesn't count. We look around at the world around us and we see those people who we would say, oh, they're not exhibiting grace transforming their lives. Since they're not exhibiting grace transforming their lives, then God must not be real to them in Jesus Christ. They are therefore rejected. But here's what I say. God's grace is big enough to include you. How is it possible that it's not big enough to include that other person? How many of you know you're a mess? Without grace, you're a mess. When we read the scriptures, when we hear the teachings of scripture, we hear Paul saying, all the things that I want to do are the things that I don't do, and the things that I do want to do are exactly the things that I don't do. And this is a guy who wrote the most theologically thick and deep stuff in all of scriptures. And if he's saying this, for you and I to sit here and say, oh, that's not me. I got my life all together, is just arrogant and foolish. We desperately need God's grace to be bigger than we, what we imagine it to be for others. We need God's grace to exhibit itself in our lives, even when it looks like in any way, shape, or form, we deserve it. We don't deserve it. We need that grace in our lives. How can we then look at others with any eyes except those? Which means that if we're looking at the world through that sort of lens, then there is nobody who is undeserving of our compassion. 
Because Christ looks at us and says, despite your mess, I give you grace. He looks at the people around us in this world and he says, and they may know my grace too. I don't know how the second judgment all works out. I don't know who's in and who's out. I don't know how God looks at punishment of those who don't know his grace. That's God's job. That's God's thinking. That's God's quantifying of what a person's life is like and the transformation that he's shown. All I can do, all we can do, is be people who show compassion without the if. We can be people who love show grace, have the water bottles in the car, sit with the person who's alone at the table, be people who wonder what inmate needs a visit. Think about how much clothing we have and how can we give it for the glory of God and the love of Christ in the life of another. What is it that we can do, friends, to be a sheep who follows the shepherd? In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask that you continue to move and transform our hearts beyond the ifs of compassion, beyond the conditions, who's worthy, who's not. Because, Lord, you don't look at us through that lens. Your grace is broader and wider. And yes, of course, your grace comes through Jesus, but we do not know how Christ has been made manifest in the lives of those around us. We trust that your grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for us. May your grace be sufficient for those we love, that we care for, that we bear witness to in our world, so that, Lord, more can be a part of your kingdom, and that, Lord, through our compassion and through our love for others, through the gifts that we give of food out of thanksgiving for what you've given to us, the gifts of, of drink, water, clothing, that we give housing, that we are a people who look at things like prisons, those who are widowed and orphaned, and we look at those, those folks with eyes of compassion and love, those who are the alien within our gates, that we see them the way you see them, We don't see them in the way that uh, ourselves, in our own selfishness, the way that our, our party, the way that our culture might see them. Instead, we look at them with your eyes. Lord, in that move us to have generous hearts of compassion. May we be sheep who follow the shepherd. In Christ we pray. Amen.
no instruments. One more time. But in this, this is worship. This is a time where we, before God, He has given us everything for us to proclaim to the world around, He is God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Okay, you said I'll worship your holy name. And guess what? That's beautiful that you did it through singing. You did it through your voice. God be praised. That's faithfulness and obedience to his call. But you know how else you worship? Through compassion. Through love to the world around you. Continue your worship this morning by going into a world that needs to see more of Jesus. Go from this place worshiping him with hearts that are open and give in gratitude for what he has given to you. Go from this place with his blessing. People of the river, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his smile of blessing towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's people said together, Amen. go in peace.